Hello, and welcome to the Other Minds Podcast. I'm Joseph Bohegan. We have a special episode today, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Ben Richter and Sky McClay of Ghost Ensemble. Ghost Ensemble is a chamber ensemble that focuses on collaboration with living composers such as Mia Masaoka, Kyle Gann, Lisa Hirsch, and Catherine Lamb, and covers a wide range of genres blending contemporary classical, experimental, avant-garde jazz, and sound art. They'll be performing music by Richter, McClay, and Catherine Lamb at Other Minds Latitude Series on May 18th, 2023 at St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church in San Francisco. So I'm so glad to be speaking with them today and giving our audience a sneak peek of what you can hear at the May 18th concert. Welcome to the podcast, Ben and Sky. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. You're both among the founding members of the ensemble, which has existed for over a decade now. Could you tell us about the founding principles of the group and how the ensemble's mission has evolved over the past decade? Sure. Ghost Ensemble came together to create the possibility to workshop new ideas and new musical possibilities over the long term and, you know, create works in a way that allows for more open-ended exploration of new pieces and experimentation of new techniques. Sky and I were a few of the first musicians to create compositions with the ensemble, um, and we've also been working with a wonderful wide variety of amazing musicians uh, since we began as well. Yeah, I'll just add that I think a lot of our ethos as an ensemble, in addition to creating a space for long-term experimentation and collaboration and time to develop new pieces, has also been a certain aesthetic that we tend to gravitate towards stemming from Pauline Oliveros's deep listening practice. And so we often do music of longer durations, music of embracing microtonality, music embracing principles of deep listening, music that includes structured improvisation or parameters that are not always determined by the composers. So definitely the performers have a lot of agency in many of the pieces that we play, what they do moment to moment, and all of that. Uh, We're very open to doing many different kinds of musical expression, but I'd say that's a kind of locus of techniques and approaches that we deal with often. Yeah, and I think we're very much about sort of those pieces that explore the unknown of what used to be boundaries, you know, between styles, scenes, genres, approaches, and, you know, those liminal zones, both of working methods and of musical materials, are often the really exciting places to explore. In one of our previous California tours, I think, uh, I can't remember who said this exactly, but somebody branded us as stoner classical. (laughs) And I think that that's very descriptive because we do follow many conventions of classical chamber music, but we also want to tap into the the transcendence of, um, you know, perhaps the feeling of being stoned or the reality of being stoned. It may be possible. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely an element of, you know, I'm, I'm certainly fascinated by how music can create different states of consciousness and awareness. And that's that's a big part of what I think ties a lot of our a lot of the music that we make together. Along those lines, are there any particular pieces that you've commissioned or played over the course of the ensemble's history that you found are really important either to your artistic development or just really enjoyable to play? 
Well, I think one of Ben's earlier pieces for the ensemble, Healing Ghost, is a very iconic ghost ensemble piece. And I feel very, even though we're just getting started with it, I feel very happy that we have a piece by Cat Lamb now because I think that it's, you know, really pushing us musically and in a direction that we want to go. So since Ben and I have been in the ensemble since the beginning in 2012, I feel as both composer performers in the ensemble, we've sort of slightly balanced each other out as far as the music that we write for Ghost, for example, Ben tends to write quite long duration pieces for Ghost and that have a slow developing time span, whereas my pieces for Ghost have tended to be more fast music and a bit maybe more on the whimsical side. So I am also just really happy with the pieces 60 Degree Mirrors and now Harmana Friends that I've contributed to the Ghost Ensemble repertoire. And yeah, other pieces that stand out, Ben? Yeah, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate how the two of us can complement each other's musicality as well and contributing compositions to the ensemble. I think one of the things that's really special about Sky's music is in addition to being really sort of sophisticated and adventurous, it's also really playful. And that's an aspect of uh, music making that I really, really love that isn't always so much in the front of my own work. But, you know, not to offer too many spoilers, but Sky's Peace has hugging and, you know, inflating balloons and all sorts of wonderful things that are a wonderful contrast to the sort of slow timbral explorations, which I also obviously love doing in my own work. And I'm really excited for Cat Lamb's piece, absolutely. We just premiered a new piece by Mia Masaoka that was really exciting to work on. And we also did another piece with her, which I think I also should avoid too many spoilers about. But we, we were wandering around in the forest wearing costumes. And, you know, over the years, it's been a real privilege to work with so many incredible composers. And I'll just add one more that I think Andrew Smith's piece that we worked on for a long time about in 2018 is is a piece that stretched us musically and I'm just very I think that helped us grow as an ensemble to um yeah bring that amazing piece to life I'm blanking on the title of it though Ben we remember not the word but the sound of the word yes you gave us a little bit of information about Sky's piece Harmona Friends which will be performed at the May 18th concert so it features some inflatable sculptures that are embedded with harmonicas. And I don't want to say too much else, but you're, so you're not wanting to spoil some of the surprises. But Sky, could you tell us some more about that piece? Yeah, my piece, Harmona Friends, is, as as you mentioned, for Ghost Ensemble and two of these inflatable harmonica sculptures called Harmona Trees. And Harmona Trees are pine tree shaped vinyl, sort of like a floaty ring type structure, except in a pine tree shape. And they are animated by fans and the air escapes after the sculpture is inflated, the air escapes through the tines of these deconstructed harmonicas. So it creates a harmonica drone major triadic sound. And these are instruments that I built myself and handcrafted. And I'm very fascinated by all they do as instruments. So the piece has the one that uses all A harmonicas and one that uses all B flat harmonicas. I actually have eight of these harmonitries because they're part of an installation piece 
that I originally did at Stetson University in Florida in 2020. And after I did the installation, which is an environment where people can go in and turn the trees on and off and kind of uh, just experience the sound as sort of a, an overwhelming texture or as more individual tree combinations. I just wanted to try more possibilities for using the trees in a chamber music context. And Ghost Ensemble was a really perfect vehicle for me to do that because, of course, I know everybody very well. And I knew that they would just go with me and try things. And I had the opportunity to do two workshops before the piece was fully finished. So just got to try things out. And one thing that's I find fascinating about the trees is they have a very distinct sonic envelope, the way that they inflate and they have kind of a attack when they become fully inflated and the harmonicas have a bit of a an extra push and then they kind of collapse as the air goes away. So to me, that is like a choreography of an ADSR. And so I work a lot with that. How can I amplify that element with the whole ensemble? Yeah, I was watching a video of the ensemble performing the piece and the harmonic trees kind of seem like additional members of the ensemble, like they're personified. I, part of it is probably that you call it harmonic friends. They're like <laughs> they're your friends that are part of the ensemble. Is that how you're thinking of them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I also, at one point I said it was sort of a concerto for the harmonic trees. So I tried to do different sort of ways of interaction between the ensemble and the harmonic trees, but they're definitely... I wanted to think of them as performers, not just, you know, objects or inanimate objects. I wanted to personify them. And it's called Harmonic Friends because I guess I wanted the piece to be about about friendship in a very general way, about relationships between the harmonic trees and the instruments, the instruments and the trees. But all of these are sort of friendly relationships. There's not the kind of combative relationship that you could perhaps make between a soloist and ensemble. Yeah. And I just want to say, first of all, that's totally what the ensemble is all about. And it's also just a great example of the kind of creative experimentation that can happen in the combination of chamber music and installation art and performance art, which is what we're all about. And also even sort of expanding beyond the human in our music making, which is another sort of theme that I think we've been exploring a lot lately. One of the ways this piece is very collaborative is that the score, while being very specific about certain elements, is not very specific about the voicing of the triads. So the ensemble plays these big triads that either match or clash with what the harmonitry is playing, but I didn't tell them exactly what octave or assign which member of the triad each person is playing. So we tried, I gave them some examples in one of our workshops, but then the actual real-time orchestration is the responsibility of the ensemble members. So I'm really happy with how it turned out, but also I didn't do all of that exact determination myself. The ensemble members do some of that on the fly. Let's listen now to an excerpt of Sky McClay's Harmona Friends.
Speaking of thinking beyond the human, Ben, in your piece Rewild, you've written that you're directing listeners toward incredibly small and large timescales that we're not normally attuned to. So can you tell us about that idea and how you're conveying it musically? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I've been really fascinated with over the past several years in in trying to explore more musically is orders of magnitude, both in space. You know, if you think about biology, you have like the organelle and the cell and the organism and the ecosystem. And sometimes the lines between those different orders of magnitude are blurry, right? Like, you know, hey, these these slime molds are all sticking together and like behaving as if the whole mass is, is one being, but then they separate and they go in all these different places, you know, and there's a lot of ways in which an ecosystem can act like an organism or an organism can act like an organelle or something. And, you know, and we are ecosystems, of course, we have like all these bacteria and so forth inside us. And then in time as well, you can zoom into quantum time and look at how, you know, particles interact. We experience certain states of timeliness in our lives, right? Sometimes we're sort of zoomed out. Sometimes we're more zoomed in. This is something that I'm really interested in exploring musically. And then there's the sort of vast timescales that we're aware of, but we can't experience directly, you know, with the geologic and the sort of cosmic time of systems much, much bigger than what we actually see playing out for our eyes. And one of the things that I think is really magical about music as a form that interacts with time is that we can sort of model orders of magnitude to take an indirect look at what we can't experience directly. So what I mean is like, you know, if we think about a parameter like pitch, we can operate in the sort of most familiar zone of, okay, these are, these two pitches are, uh, you know, a minor sixth apart. And once we get to, okay, these two pitches are, you know, 20 cents apart, 15 cents apart, then we sort of enter a different, a different scale at which we don't really we start not to perceive them as two separate pitches, but as beating frequency relationship between two pitches that are extremely close together. Or if they're extremely far apart, we might be less likely to hear them harmonically, but more as a sort of timbral coloration of one sound. And I think it's really fascinating to explore the liminal zones of where these orders of magnitude tend to sort of flip. This is a very like James Tenney idea. And also in parameters like timbre like rhythm you know pitch can ultimately turn into rhythm pitch can turn into timbre timbre can turn into something else entirely and so in this piece i'm sort of without creating too concrete of a system for the overall piece because it's also just an exploration of a bunch of sound worlds i thought sounded really beautiful when we were experimenting with them I wanted to explore a lot of these liminal zones where we kind of jump from one order of magnitude to another in terms of our perception and explore how that can parallel our ability to listen into these non-human timescales or non-human modes of awareness that might be out there that we can catch a little glimpse of. In terms of the listener perceiving these differences, these timescales, is that something that you've found that you want to prime them first before and let them know what the idea is, or you tell them nothing and those ideas sort of come just through listening, even if they're not sure where they're coming from? 
It's a great question. I think ultimately that that ends up being up to listeners anyway. If you offer program notes, some people will choose adamantly not to read them. <laughs> um, <laughs> we also have my friend John Charles Ryan wrote a wonderful exploration of the ideas that we've included in some programs for people who are interested in, in reading more. But ultimately, you know, as I said, because it's not a deterministic element of the piece, and I don't think it's required, hopefully it's not required to appreciate the piece, I don't want to overemphasize the inspiration there. It's also, I hope it's something that people can, you know, close their eyes and listen to and just enjoy the journey. The last piece that you'll be playing on the concert is a new work which you commissioned, uh, which is by Catherine Lamb, called Interius Exterius. What's your relationship with Lamb's music, and what can you tell us about the new piece? Cat is someone that we had been interested in working with for a long time, and we were able to develop this piece with her over the course of a few seasons. So we a few sort of intensive workshops uh, working together which I'm really grateful for because Kat's music is beautiful and quite different in terms of performance practice from anything else that we've done. 
I think it requires a lot of attunement to a certain way of listening and a certain way for the ensemble to interact. And that was something that she's sort of guided us through while we were developing the piece. Yeah, and just to expand on that, on what Ben means by that, this piece and other pieces by Kat uses a, well, the rhythmic notation is not super precise. It's very much spatial notation with very specific harmonies and relationships. And we often are supposed to lock into a particular harmony or grow into and out of a specific chord where some people are more the foreground and the background. And it's all very intricately interrelated, but the exact timing is based on those sounds and those harmonies locking in and feeling in tune. And that obviously takes a lot of listening and skill and practice and just really knowing the piece so we know what to listen for. And it's very rewarding when you when you get it, but it's also, well, I'm definitely just in awe of the precision of Kat's harmonic language and her ear and how she can hear, you know, the exact interval that she's going for. And from my own experience on oboe, it's often challenging to get my oboe to play those particular notes at the exact time when I need them. Um, So just, I really appreciate how it's pushed me to find ways to get those correct pitches. And then when it finally locks in, it's just extremely beautiful and satisfying. Yeah, there's a real risk and reward thing happening with Kat's music. And one of the other things I really love about this piece, again, sort of in terms of the things operating slightly beyond the bounds of our awareness, is the whole harmonic language of the piece is based on a 10 hertz fundamental, which is outside of the range of human hearing and which is not actually being you know, sounded by any of the ensemble members. But all of the harmonic relationships among the instruments are based on this sort of inaudible imaginary fundamental. And when I'm playing the piece and listening to everyone, it really feels like there is this unseen totality that's bigger than that's bigger than everything we can quite comprehend at once. And I just really love that that acoustic basis for the composition really comes through in terms of how we experience it perceptually. Sky, you had mentioned earlier that this piece is pushing the ensemble in a direction that you're wanting to take it in. If I remember correctly, could you talk about what that direction is that you're wanting to take the ensemble? Well, I think many of us in the ensemble are very interested in J.I. tuning systems and microtonal tuning systems. And and just to explain for listeners, just intonation is J.I. Yeah, so just intonation. Cat would say rational intonation. Why does Cat say rational intonation? Just rational in the sense of using ratios. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's using ratios based on the harmonic series. And so as Ben mentioned, her piece for us has a, a fundamental with 10 hertz, 10 you know vibrations per second. So then all of the overtones are multiples of that frequency. So, for example, the 14th partial would be 140 hertz. So, you know, thinking of pitch not as notes like A, B, C, thinking of them a bit detached from that system and more as frequencies, which just, I think, stretches us in that it's not quite how we're trained to play very fluidly as musicians. So it just takes a little extra 
practice to, you know, to think that way and find those, those frequencies. But the way that Kat used 10 Hertz as the fundamental is very brilliant because then it's very easy to calculate the frequencies of the higher partials. So, you know, the eighth partial is 80 Hertz and the 16th partial is 160 Hertz. So the math works out very cleanly. So I guess as far as what I want for us as an ensemble, just in addition to wanting to be a part of Cat's Amazing Sound World, I think becoming more fluid with playing all kinds of microtonal music and practicing that kind of the kind of listening relationships that her music encourages. Yeah, and I'm really excited for anything like this that really breaks down, you know, structures that we might have accidentally been living in, like the concept of pitch class, right? And just sort of, you know, peeking our head outside and saying, oh, there's this whole wider universe where we can just conceive of this parameter in an entirely different way. And here's the beautiful music that results from that. This is a fantastic example. And I think there's so much more out there in terms of what's possible in, you know, reconceiving all of these acoustic and musical possibilities. Let's hear a little bit about the piece from the composer, Cat Lamb, followed by an excerpt of Interius Exterius. I would say the main experiment with this piece for Ghost Ensemble in regards to the role of the listener, who is also the interpreter in this moment, I was searching for where there could be threads of attention, placing focal points on certain harmonic elements, so breaking down harmonicity into various elemental points where each individual is somehow taking part in that identity of sound. I was curious what it would be like if each person were to imagine how they are sending the energy outwards, because when you're producing a sound, you're instigating energy and coalescing and meshing and becoming something else. But from the point where it is singular, a singular voice sending out that energy, I was curious what one's role could be and if it could morph in each moment. So let's say I'm sending out, I'm sending out some energy, I'm sending out an element that will become harmony as it goes into the room. So when I'm sending out that element into the room, I'm in that moment, the role is either out or in. This is what I've indicated in the, the score. And it's something simple and it doesn't, it's not really about volume. It's more how the person sending out that information or that energy, how they are imagining the sound to work in the room. So in a way, they are aware that if they are out, if they are sending that sound out, then they are the ones instigating something. And often there are two people at a time. This is a common element because two tones, two elements create a relation. So let's say that the harmony is built around this duo of two-point relation. So the two of them are sending out their energies and meeting. And so their purpose is to send that out 
and initiate the forward momentum. Yeah, again, it does not mean loud, it doesn't mean all-encompassing, it just means a kind of instigation. So then, if another person has a role of a different element that corresponds, but it's another element of the harmony, if their role is indicated as in, then their role is more to go into that sound that's been initiated, yeah? To meet it. So it's just a slight, a slight difference of focus, really, or intention. And that's what I was really curious about. Not that one is more dominant than the other, even, but just that the intention, there's a slight intention differentiation. It's something that I've been recently curious about, how this affects how we're building these shapes in a room, these harmonic shapes together via the elements that each point, a point that is sounded by a person. It's a study in, in collectivism, you could say, collectivism and its failures.
That was Catherine Lamb's Interius Exterius. You can hear Ghost Ensemble perform music by Sky McClay, Ben Richter, and Catherine Lamb at Other Minds Latitude series on May 18th, 2023 at St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church in San Francisco. Thank you, Sky and Ben, for talking with me today, and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks so much for having us and very much looking forward to this concert. Thanks, Joey. This has been an episode of the Other Minds podcast, brought to you by Other Minds. We'll be back soon with interviews with the featured artists from our 27th festival, which will be held November 15th to 18th, 2023, at the Taub Atrium Theater in San Francisco. 